there must be a creative tension between our spiritual pilgrimage and the world in which it is lived out. If we attempt to undo this difficult tension, we move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world or into a worldly spirituality that insulates us from the radical demands of a vital relationship with God. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Well, Ruth, every time we reach the last episode of a season, I always feel a sense of bittersweetness. Mm -hmm. The sweetness is because we've been talking together for a long time, and I began to grow weary of the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Me too, um, brother. Me too. My, but... my voice. <laughs> Not yours, mine. But the bitter part is I always walk away feeling energized by uh, our energy together, um, by the thoughts that you share, and by... I always walk away feeling um, encouraged and like re-hopeful about what I do. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking too that it is a real privilege to spend these hours actually getting to work through such an important work and do it with someone like you who's, can, who's really intelligent in the conversation. And um, I'm like, who gets to do this kind of stuff, Steve? Like, this is a privilege to get to spend this kind of it time is. talking it to is. a friend about this kind of a significant, it's a significant work, but it's a work that actually describes the most significant, I think, reality of our Christian living is yeah. this invitation to the journey of spiritual transformation. And we've gotten to spend hours talking about it and interacting. I just feel so privileged myself, and I'm aware of the privilege all the time as we're talking. So so thank you for that. <clears throat> well, thank you. Um, and uh, it's been a great season. Boy, we have really, really uh, we've really jumped into some deep, deep waters, yes. and I hope and and I pray it's been helpful for folks. <laughs> I think sometimes we're swimming and sometimes we're just flapping around. One oh, hundred. There were a couple moments, Steve, when I'm really sure we were just flapping around, <laughs> trying to pretend we were swimming. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. The doggy paddle sometimes, <laughs> and a little, you know, almost some drowning a couple times. You know? Exactly. But, that dead body stuff. That yeah. was really that was oh, the deepest. My gosh. That was the deepest weeds, wasn't it? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we just combined it with really mm -hmm. the next chapter's content so we didn't <laughs> yeah. have to talk about it so much. Now. Okay. Well, let's get into the content for this last episode. Uh, so what is social spirituality? Well, social spirituality is how we live our spirituality out in the culture in which we live. And so Mulholland says that, um, that 
to be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others not only calls us to our own fullness of life in the body of Christ, but also it thrusts us into the world as agents of God's healing, transforming grace. So we were talking about agents of God's troubling grace in the corporate spirituality, but now we're talking about being agents of God's healing, transforming grace in the world in which we live. And so social spirituality is referring to our pilgrimage taken within the culture in which we are living right now and for the sake of the culture in which we live right now. It's a very compelling thought. So Ruth, this this really, this sounds like a, a tremendous place of tension when you're talking about our spiritual pilgrimage in the context of our actual lived reality in our society. Talk more about how we live with that. Yeah. Well, this is a place where I feel like Bob does an incredibly wonderful job of articulating the tension for us because we all feel it. And I think even try to escape it. Even unconsciously, we, we say, there's got to be some place to live where I don't have to experience this tension between my personal spiritual journey and, and the world in which I'm living it out. Um, but the truth is, Bob says that there is no escape from this tension. He says that... Um, a vital Christian spirituality with a growing relationship with God at the heart of one's being is going to be incarnated in the reality of the social, economic, and political context in which we live, and that that kind of spirituality is going to be relevant, revolutionary, and transforming. But it's going to mean that we are living in creative tension all the time, you know, that we can't escape it. So th these are his words, and um, I reflect on these words regularly because they articulate so well what I feel on the inside so many times. He says, there must be a creative tension between our spiritual pilgrimage and the world in which it is lived out. If we attempt to undo this difficult tension, we move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world. I'm going to come back. I, I want to yeah. read it again so that we don't, we can all really grasp, grasp what he's saying. We move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world or into a worldly spirituality that insulates us from the radical demands of a vital relationship with God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. There's a lot so, there. There is so much there, and that's why I come back to this quote and, and sit in it and with it so often, because he's naming two um, destructive possibilities if we refuse to live in the tension. Right. So let's. If we, yeah, if we refuse to live in it, we're going to move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates from us from the world. That's one destructive possibility. Mm -hmm. Can and we talk about that one for a minute? What would that look like? An unworldly spirituality that isolates you from the world. Yes. I think that there there would. I'm thinking about the characteristics of that kind of spirituality, and I think it's. It relies on certainty instead of mystery, mm. and and it you it you 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 have to be right, and others have to be wrong. It's very dualistic in that way. Um, you're, you're so separating yourself from the terrible terrible world um, by your personal holiness and your inability to engage in with love and compassion. I don't think you can you can't love what you think is completely dirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't move toward with compassion and grace. You can't be for the sake of others if you feel like you are so holy that you need to be separated from them. So what would be an example of that, Steve, 
a really concrete example of that. Yeah. Well, I maybe one thing like even now, given the racial tension that we're in right now, would be to just to stay in your house and go on with your life, your own privileged life, without yeah. engaging the issue, without participating in any protests, without feeling the emotion, without following the facts, without doing what you can do in your corner of the world to just continue on as though nothing was happening around you. Right. And cultivate your own inner spirituality without engaging in the horrors of what's really happening for yes. black Americans. Yes, to be so, yes. I, I think that's a great example. And I think it's great because it's tempting. Mm -hmm. It is because it hurts so bad. Yeah. Um, it's really tempting. Mm -hmm. And we start to think, well, how much more can we deal with? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, exactly. And then you listen to someone who has for generations felt overwhelmed and you realize, mm -hmm. oh, okay, maybe I'm just I having a, I'm just having a couple weeks right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think another area that we can continue to maintain a very unworldly spirituality would have to do with the environment. Oh, for sure. You know, where we just, we just keep living our lives as though nothing is happening in our environment. Um, and we pretend it's, we can't live with, with what we're seeing and how painful it is. And so we just pretend it's not happening all around us and we don't participate in any of the, um, the actions that could take us in, a, in another direction, in a better direction, you know, mm. to help our world flourish, um, even at the, at the level of the earth and what's happening with the earth. Um, so anyway, I, I think, I, you know, so I think those are a couple of examples of this unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world. Now, here's the other destructive possibility that he gives, and that is a worldly spirituality that insulates us from the radical demands of a vital relationship with God. And, and hmm. I, to me, I, I see this one. I think, I feel like I, I, I know what that one is a little bit more, um, that we can get involved in the issues of the world without this radical openness to God that challenges, like, for instance, anger. And I, I'm going to, you know, so it, it's possible to respond with almost uncontrolled anger to the injustices that we see. And I can speak even as a woman that sometimes I have, I have felt so angry, but if I, and I can go out there and I can work on it outside myself, but I don't keep opening up my own emotional state to God mm. for the radical demands of God upon my life. Be angry and do not sin. Mm. You know, and I don't wrestle with God with that. Instead, I just go out there and say whatever I want to say and do whatever I want to do. And I maintain this angry inner posture that's actually, you know, be can become an obstruction to prayer and to receptivity to God. So once again, Mulholland's bringing up the issue of control. <laughs> once oh. again, <laughs> that, yeah. because that's what you're talking about is you're, I'm going to now I'm going to take control over this situation. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to be as I'm going to do it I, my way yep. and I'm not going to let God in and I'm not going to let God challenge my inner posture, my inner structures. Um, I'm going to fight 
out of my anger. I'm not going to be challenged by scripture on this. I'm, you know, like yep. there are all sorts of ways we can appear very spiritual, but we're actually resisting this radical, what he says, the radical demands of a vital relationship with God, where God is always challenging us yeah. to our growth. Yes, this is making a lot of sense. And it's also so tempting. It's so tempting to do mm -hmm. because oftentimes we can feel you know, we can start to rage at like, okay, God, why is any of this happening? Mm -hmm. And why aren't you doing more about it? So I'm going to, I'm going to do something about it now. Um, yeah. It's time for me to take control. It's very tempting for those yes. of us who are prone yeah. to activism. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you're not, yeah, we tell God, you're not doing a very good job yeah. of this. So we're just going to take this into our own yeah. hands now. I got you it. Know? I got it. <laughs> we don't like the way you work. And so we're going to do this in our own way. <laughs> Yeah. Hooey. I mean, that's not going to help our world either. No, it's really not. But it's tempting. It is. It's tempting to do. So both of these are very tempting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what Bob says, and it's a hard truth, he says that we will never escape this tension while we're here on the earth. And that part of the journey of spiritual transformation is the willingness to accept living in this place of tension as opposed to falling down into one of these polarities, one side of the polarity or the other. And, and I think we need to, to fully accept that, um, that there will always be tension as we try to live our formational journey in the world in which we live. So I hope, I hope we can breathe with that and just accept the fact that, um, the, the call to true formation is going to mean that we are always living in creative tensions. And he actually says that whole holistic spirituality is a situation of being never at home yet fully at home in the social order, being never fully at home yet fully at home in the social order. Mm. Um, we're never at home because our lives are being shaped by a different set of values, you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time we are at home because this is where we live. This is where God's placed us. And so we're, we're meant to participate fully in the human experience during this time. And, and we must, that's where our journey gets lived out. So this is, there's a lot to this question, but I think it's so important. Uh, how and when have Ruth, you experienced biblical spirituality that really does probe our complicity in the injustice of the world, mm -hmm. our own contribution to the dehumanizing perspectives and practices that shape our portion of the world. Uh, this, you know, again, you can talk personally or mm. historically, and certainly given the times in which we live right now, yeah. this is an important question. It really is. And it's real. it's painful. It's just really painful how for white Christians, a privatized approach to our spirituality has caused us to be completely blind to the experiences of others. Um, and to the ways in which we've actually used our religion to shore up our own privilege rather than using our spirituality within our culture to actually contribute to racial justice, to racial equality, and to the human flourishing of, of everyone in the human community. I mean, it's a devastating truth right now that we are facing, that our privatized spirituality, our, our focus just on ourselves and how our spirituality works for us has, has actually become a smokescreen for yeah. to to help us avoid seeing how others are living and what life among us is really like. Oh, so that's that's one of the places where I just can't help but see it right now. Yeah, and I I wonder as I process my own feelings as a white person and Christian 
my own complicity. There's just many levels of fragility, shame, guilt. And I wonder how we can start to move through some of those so that they don't keep us from doing the good work. Do you know what I mean, Ruth? Mm -hmm, like, I do. How do we name all of those really true feelings, mm -hmm. but not get lost in them and stuck? Well, one of my responses to that is relationships. Mm. Um, to actually be in real relationships as opposed, you know, real relationships. And what I mean by that is real relationships where there's love. Right. Real relationships where there's commitment, a long haul sort of commitment. Real relationships where there's listening and time for listening and mutual influencing and going back and forth and uh, believing the best in each other, even when there's hard things that need to be discussed. Um, and, you know, so I think that's one thing is when you when you try to go at these things as concepts, um, rather than working at them within real relationships, I think it's just hard. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. And there's no place to work it out. Right. There's no there's no real person to say I'm sorry to. There's right. no real person to say, what do I need to do to, to contribute to making this right? And you're dealing with something that's so big and you feel so small um, that it feels like you can't impact anything. Um, whereas when you're in real relationships with real people, there are things you can do within yeah. those relationships that, that can help you to know that you're doing something in, in your own corner, the corner that's yours to cultivate, the, the field that Paul talks about. Um, that there's something I can do in the field that God has given me to work. And that the field is your real relationships, your mm. community, you know, your town. Your, um, and right now, even in our country, as we think about voting, you know, that those are the things, you know, we, we discover real things that we can really do as opposed to just always stewing in our guilt. Ruth, one of the things I think that Mulholland does so well is he writes about the churches that John writes about in John's Revelation. And he writes particularly about the problem with the church at Ephesus. What does he write about and what was the problem? Well, I think the problem is the very one that he was describing earlier. And that, that is that it's possible to be active in the world doing things because that's what the church of Ephesus was doing. They were having a powerful outreach but they had gotten disconnected from the radical demands of a vital relationship with Christ. So in John's uh, writings in the book of Revelation, he records Jesus as saying, I know your works, your toil, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. You have endured, you have borne up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. So this does sound like a community that's doing a lot of really good things. But then Jesus goes on to say, I have this against you, that you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Remember from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. It is so nuanced here. I mean, the nuance is right here. Yeah. Um, that we can do all sorts of things that seem like they are good things to be done in the world, but we can be divorced from number one, good theology, for yep, instance. I yep. think that's, that's, that's one of the things you and I have talked about as being so powerful in Bob's life yep. is that he was a New Testament theologian. And even though he was saying these very progressive things that are culturally relevant, they were always rooted in, 
theology. Yes. In, 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 in right belief. And then right behavior comes out of right belief, you know? Um, so that was powerful in his life. But then also this continual call to make sure we're doing what we do still in relationship with Jesus at the core of our being and, and still committed to our own transformational journey where the image of Christ is being formed in us. And it's easy to get our action divorced from who we are in Christ and that, that all-important relationship where Christ is being formed in us. And that was the basic problem in Ephesus. It was that their, their, their actions were no longer being motivated by love. Mm. Their actions were no longer rooted in a love relationship with Jesus at the core of their being. And that's the tension right there, isn't it? It really is. And you can see that it's tempting for all of us to want to measure our spirituality on the basis of our what we do, those things that that Ephesus mm -hmm. did, you know, we because they're tangible, they're yeah. measurable. We can feel good about ourselves if we are doing those, um, or we can beat ourselves up if we aren't. But it's altogether totally different to be motivated by and fueled by an opening vulnerable, ongoing, living relationship with the living Christ who might ask us to do something we aren't comfortable doing or might ask us to pull back from something we thought we should be doing. Um, it's That's an altogether different way of living mm -hmm. and being with yourself and with the world. Yeah. You know, Ruth, I'm looking at right in my office here, I have the Rublev's icon of the Trinity mm -hmm. and the posture that they have of deep interconnectedness with one another and mutual submission seems to me to be a good picture of this love relationship, you know, mm -hmm. mutually submitting to the other, um, to, to Christ who sends, to the spirit who fills, you know, it's a good reminder for me. So Ruth, again, what a great season. And I'm wondering if you have any last final words you'd like to share as we wrap up the final episode of this season. Yeah, well, we have definitely been swimming in the deep end of the pool. And um, I am, I'm really excited to be able to offer this to our listeners, who I think are really desirous of knowing even more about some of the theological and biblical underpinnings of what we do here. Um, I think from this season, we understand why spiritual transformation is not a side issue for us in the Christian church, but that it is central to the message of the gospel and therefore central to the mission of the church. And I think that's where I want to close us, is to say what we've been talking about in this season, the promise, the possibility, the vision for, for being formed in the image of Christ or transformed into the image of Christ is the core of the gospel. It is what the gospel invites us to. We are being invited to spiritual transformation, and that's why it must be central to the mission of the church. And part of what I hope for as a result of this season is that more and more we as the church writ large will embrace spiritual transformation as central to what it is that we do, central to our mission. Bob Mulholland says that the journey of faith, the path to spiritual wholeness lies in our increasingly faithful response to the one whose purposes shape our path, whose grace redeems our detours, whose power liberates us from the crippling bondages of our previous journey, and whose transforming presence meets us at each turn in our road. And so to you, our dear listeners, may you meet the transforming presence of Jesus at each turn in your own road. 
and may you experience this one whose purpose shapes your path, whose grace redeems your detours, whose power liberates you from the crippling bondage of any previous journey you've had. May the transforming presence of Jesus meet you at every turn in your road. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ruth. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.